What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Now, so if we could go back into the scene of him on the cross here, this is what we would see. We would see people staring at him, just staring at him. That's exactly what they were doing then. And it's so interesting when it says that on the cross they were staring, they were looking upon him because the same words are used at the time when they become converted in the future, which is in Zechariah 12, Zechariah 12, 10, when the nation is born in a day, the nation is converted, and all of a sudden he becomes not their shame but their pride and joy. And what happens in, in Zechariah 12, 10, it says, I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplications, and they shall look upon me, same, they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one is in bitterness for his firstborn. They shall look upon me whom they have pierced. Only this is gonna be different because now when they look, there'll be such the deep spirit of repentance is they'll say, we did that to him. But now they're just staring. They're staring on him. And there's a wicked transition that is taking place here as they transition, as they progress from staring at him to laughing at him. Now, this isn't the first time that this has happened to the Lord, being laughed, as it says in the King James, laughed to scorn. It says in Luke 8, 49, Luke 8, 49, here was a time when there was a ruler of the synagogue, a ruler of the synagogue. He was desperate. He never would have done this except his daughter was dying. And it says in, in Luke 8, 49, while he yet spake, there cometh one from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying, thy daughter is dead. Trouble not the master. But when Jesus heard it, he answered, saying, Fear not, but only believe, and she shall be made whole. In other words, she's going to live. And when he came into the house, he suffered no man to go in, save Peter and James and John and the father and the mother of the maiden, and all wept and bewailed her. But he said, Weep not, she's not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn, knowing that he was dead. So here's this scene here where this poor, desperate father loves his daughter his daughter so much and she's dying and he says, I don't care who I have to go to. If someone can help my daughter, forget about everything I'm going. 
And so while he's going to the Lord, the, the dreaded report that he hoped he would never hear, that every parent hopes they never hear, children should never die before the parents. And the report comes, she's dead. And the Lord says, don't, don't stop right there. Don't let your mind run any further. She's gonna live. And when they heard that, they laughed him to scorn. They la their laughter digressed to a level of making fun of him. Here he is. He has said this and he's being laughed to scorn. What was he doing then? He was actually in the process, because he is the God of life, of going to bring life to a, to a girl that was dead. He was going to bring a dead little girl back to life, and he's being laughed to scorn. Here he is on the cross. What's he doing on the cross? What he's doing there is described in Hebrews 2.14. Hebrews 2.14. Hebrews 2.14 says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood. He also, likewise himself, took part of the same. Stop there. You know, you always start off, and you, and, and you, you start off, you read in the New Testament. You just started a book of Matthew, I've been thinking about this. So you start off in the book of Matthew, and you've got this genealogy. And you know, when you, when you open the book of Matthew, you say, oh man, I can't pronounce these words. These, why do I have to dab this, you know? And, and, you, and you say to yourself, okay, well, quick, let's get through this now. Let's get, no, no, you have to ask the question, why is that there? Why is there this genealogy? In the case of Matthew, it's Joseph. In the case of Luke, it's Mary. Why is all that there? It's there because, because it's there because the Passover time, when God told the father of the house, well, God, Moses said to all the fathers, every father here, you've got to go find a lamb. Find a lamb, go into your herds, get the lamb or the goat, and mark them out. And you go there and you examine each one. You know, this is, I remember I used to do this. Well, we had goats. This is, no, I didn't mean do the Passover, but I mean, the, we, we had 300 goats living with us and I immunized, I used to immunizing the goats with 100 different antigens and 300 goats, I had to make sure I injected the right goat with the right antigen, you know. Anyway, so I'd have to go out, you know, make sure the goat could take it. We had 50 goats in a pen. I have to go out there and find out which is this goat. Okay, here he is. And I'd look them over real carefully and then I'd mark them with a paint stick, come back and inject them later. Anyway, so the father is going out there and he's looking over all the goats and he's looking them over there and he's, no, no, yeah, no, 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 no. And he's, oh, this one here. And he marks them out. So that's what the genealogies are all about. You come to each person in that genealogy and what it's saying is, you can ask the question with each person in the genealogy, was that an angel or a man? Oh, it was a man, okay. And you go down and man, 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 man. Okay, he, this is, we all take part of flesh and blood, that genealogy, just drives on the point, he took part of flesh and blood. And then you ask the other question, you go down there and you say, this person, did he die or just kept living forever? No, he died, okay, this one died. Then you go, death, 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 okay. He took part of flesh and blood, and why? Because of Hebrews 2.14, Hebrews 2.14, through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. So I was trying to point out this thing about these genealogies, they're like a pedigree of life, a pedigree of, of humanity, I should say. A pedigree of humanity, and he's part of humanity. A pedigree of death, and he also will die as well. He died, by the way, in Psalm 22, he died. He died just like you and me. Don't let anybody tell you that he didn't really die. He dismissed his spirit, whatever that means. He died, he was Dead as a doornail. When he died, he died. And, and just to prove that he died, it doesn't just say the gospel is not that he died and was, and was resurrected. You know what that little part in there is? He died and was buried. He was buried. You don't bury anything unless it's dead. You better not. 
And, and so it, he, he, really, he really died. Now, so, so here on the cross, he is dying. He is dying. And through his death, he's going to bring life to us, to everyone who believes into him. And so just like when he was there bringing life to that little girl who had died, he was laughed to scorn. Here he is dying on the cross to bring life to us. He's laughed to scorn. And then it says in verse 7, they shoot out the list. That's like sticking their tongue out at him. It's a sign of contempt. It talks about that in Psalm 35, 21. Psalm 35, 21. They opened their mouth wide against me saying, aha, aha, or I have seen it. See, and then it says they shake their head. They shake their head. Now, what are they doing when they shake their head? They're saying, no, 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 he's not the Messiah. No, no, he's not the king. And they're shaking the head. It's this rejection. It's this hiding, as it were, the faith, our eyes from him, shaking the head. And then they shake their head and they say, and, they, and, and then they say these words in verse eight. He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. See, it's a mockery. They're mocking him. And it's interesting when they say he trusted in the Lord. He trusted on the Lord. Because the word trusted is interesting. Because it's only this Hebrew word, galal, galal, is only used 20 times in the Bible. And it's actually a word, a Hebrew word that was made famous in a famous love the scene between uh, Jacob and Rachel. You know, Jacob sees Rachel the first time. He says, oh, I've never seen such a girl so beautiful. He goes and cries and kisses her. Anyway, that's not the point. The point is, is that when he sees her there, he gets this supernatural strength because he's so in love with this girl. What a girl, anyway. And then he goes and there's a big stone in front of a, a well's mouth that everybody says, okay, you know, we gotta wait for all the boys to arrive to pull up, pick up the stone, you know, and then we can move it over. They, she needs water? I'll do it. And it's and he does it by himself, see? And then he has a permanent back injury. No, no, he doesn't. Anyway, but the point is, and so it makes a point about this. He rolled the stone. That's the word galal. That's the word galal. It's rolled the stone. Jacob rolled the stone off of the well's mouth so that he could impress Rachel. Anyway, so that's a very important word. So in other words, here, when they said he trusted on the Lord, Galal, they're saying he rolled himself on the Lord. He rolled himself on the Lord. That has a lot of meaning. It has a lot of meaning for us, the word rolled. It's a very important Bible word because when we struggle in our lives, with, we're worried about so many things. We're worried about the direction of our lives. We cogitate over, you know, that are we going in the right way? And the Lord comes and he sees us in this situation and he says, Psalm 37, 5, Psalm 37, 5 says, commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. The word commit is the word galal. Roll your way on the Lord, is what he's saying here. It reminds me of the story of a man who was driving his cart, his horse cart, down the road into town and he came across a lady there, and she was carrying this very, very heavy sack of potatoes on her back. And she's struggling along with this big, heavy sack of potatoes on her back. And the man felt so bad for her, he stopped. And he says, you know, just climb up into my cart here. So he, she gets up in the cart, you know, and he starts off, you know, down the road there. And then he looks back, and there's the lady. She still has a sack on her back. 
the sack of potatoes in her back, and he says to the lady, he says, take the load off your back and, and put it in the cart. And she says, oh, no, you've done so, so much. I put you in so much trouble carrying me. I can't ask you to carry my sack also. <laughs> That's a picture of us. That's a picture of us when we don't roll the burdens off of our back onto the Lord. We're just like the, la the lady. Oh, no, you saved us. I've done so much trouble in saving us. I can't let you carry my burdens, too. They would do that. We're worried about what we do. So the direction, we're worried about what we do in our lives. And we think, oh, did I do the right thing? Maybe I should have done it this way. Oh, you know, maybe it's this way. And then we get plagued with so-called second thoughts that drive us crazy. And that, when, when the second thoughts that drive us crazy comes to us, we get plagued with that, then the Lord says, Galal. He says, Proverbs 16.3, Proverbs 16.3. Galal, commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts will be established. You won't be driven crazy when you roll your works unto the Lord. Commit them. So this image of rolling our works, rolling our direction, rolling ourselves on the Lord is very important, and this is what formed the basis for Peter when he said in 1 Peter 5, 7, 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. So when the mockers are there and they're saying, they're using this word galal, they're using scripture to taunt the Lord, and we have the whole history of what they said. This actually, we have, you know, we're Psalm 22, but we have the complete history in Matthew 27, 39. Matthew 27, 39. Listen carefully what they said. They that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, thou that destroyest the temple and built it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said, save a, he saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe uh, in him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now if he will have him, for he said, I am the son of God. So this is the record of what actually occurred there. There's several mockeries that are going on in that. Now, you know, I know you didn't turn to it, so Matthew 27, 93. So I'm gonna read it again, and every time you hear a mockery, raise your hand, okay? They that passed by and reviled him, wagging their heads, saying, thou that destroyest the temple, there you got the first one. That's the first mockery. You destroyed the temple, raise it in three days. Keep on going. If thou be the son of God, come down, that's the second one. He said he was the son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priest mocking him with the scribes and elders said, he saved others. That's the next one, that's the third one, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, that's the fourth one, the king of Israel, let him come down now from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Your hands should all be up on this one, okay? That's the fifth one. Let him deliver him now if you'll have him. So there you have it. Five forms of mockery that they used against the Lord. Now, five forms, we just read them, right? Were all five of those statements of mockery called out in Psalm 22? Only one was called out, and that was the last one, where it said in verse 43, in, in Matthew, uh, Matthew 27, 43, 27, 43, he trusted in God, let him deliver him now. The other four are not called out in Psalm 22. Why was that the one that was called out in Psalm 22? Why were not the other four called out in Psalm 22? The reason is that was the most painful. That was the one that was, had the most barb on it, that was the most difficult for the Lord to bear because that was the one 
you know, that wasn't the one about destroying the temple or about he was the son of God or that he saved others or that he was the king of Israel. No, the worst one was he trusted in God. He rolled himself on God, Galal, and let him deliver him if you'll have him seeing he delighted in him. So that was the one that's called out in Psalm 22 because that's the one that hurt the most. That really hurt. And especially that last part of that mockery where they say, they said, seeing he delighted in him. That hurt. That hurt a lot. Went right to his relationship with God the Father. That was getting at the Isaiah 53.10 statement, Isaiah 53.10 statement, which is not a mockery, but it hurts a lot. Isaiah 53.10 when it says, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. It was God the Father who bruised him, who put him to grief. And so when they said, he trusted in the Lord, let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him, when they said, seeing he delighted in him, that really hurt because that went to the relationship between him and his father. That relationship of, of he delighted in him when the father spoke from heaven in Matthew 3.17, Matthew 3.17, lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So now, this is getting down, really down to the bottom here for the Lord. And now we see how the Lord raises his, himself up. He's alone now, but he raises himself up. He's, he, he encourages himself, and we see how he does it in verse nine. In verse nine, he says, no, but thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. So what, it's interesting. He encourages himself by thinking back about when he was born. I mean, do we, when's the last time you did that? You know, I thought about, you know, when I was born. Now, why would the Lord think of his birth in a time like this? And the reason is because at childbirth is when a mother and a baby are, are they're close to death. They're close to death. It's a very vulnerable time. It's, it, it, the, the whole process is not called delivery for nothing. It's not delivery like the big stork in Sharp Memorial Hospital there that's going to deliver the baby. You know, it's delivery because you're being delivered from death. That's where it comes from. So the Lord thinks of the time when he came close to death, when he was the most vulnerable as a baby being born, and he sees God delivered me. So he sees the hands of God receiving him when he's, a, when he's born, you know, and he says, thou art he that took me out of the womb. That's like, he could have said something like, some people see the hands of a midwife taking me out of the, born, out of the womb. No, I see the hands of God taking me out of the womb in verse nine. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. And then the Lord, he thinks back when he was born in his whole young childhood there, it was nothing more than just vulnerable, vulnerable, vulnerable. I mean, there was Mary and Joseph. For all intents and purposes, they were destitute as a couple. And when the Lord was born, they were so far from their friends, from their family, and traveling the great distance, and the vulnerable in the womb, and, and no room in the inns for him to be born. So God provides a stable. King Herod, after he's born, goes to murder all the children there. God delivers him by sending him down to Egypt. All this is running through his mind. And now the Lord has come to a place where he is the most vulnerable of dying. He is dying on the cross. And he's thinking of the times in his life when he was the most vulnerable and how God brought him through that, just like David did when David did in Psalm 71.6, Psalm 71.6, when David said, by thee have I been holding up from the womb. Thou art he that took me out of my mother's bowels. My praise will be continually of thee. So we can imagine the Lord thinking of the many times that he was protected 
I mean, this is what happens, you know, when you when you come to a point where they're dying, they know they're going to die, you know, and, and, you know, what do they do? They sit back and they say, well, let me look back on my life, you know, and see how, you know. and so this is what he's doing. He knows he's going to die. He's thinking, he's, he's thinking back on his life, and he starts with the birth, and then he's thinking about what happened in Luke 4.29, Luke 4.29, Luke 4.29, where it says, they rose up and thrust him out of the city, led him to the brow of the hill whereon their city was built, that they might cast him down headlong, but he passed through the midst of them, and he went his way. God delivered about God delivered me. I was being led to the cliff, and they were going to throw me over the cliff and kill me. And he's thinking John 7, 19, John 7, 19, when he said to the, to the people who are trying to kill him, did not Moses give you the law? Yet none of you keepeth the law. Why go ye about to kill me? And he's thinking about in John 8, 37, John 8, 37, I know that you are Abraham's seed, but you seek to kill me because my word hath no place in you. In John 8, 40, John 8, 40, but now you seek to kill me, a man that have told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham and John 8, 59, see, John 8, 58, John 8 is, a, John 8, you can just title John 8 by the skin of his teeth, because he was constantly on the, on the verge of being killed. In John 8, 59, they took up the stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself. All this, he's thinking about these ways, God delivered, God delivered, and he's using that as arguments, as weapons, as fuel to plead for his deliverance. And this is so important for us to see because we, as we see the Lord doing this, we can see him finding weapons everywhere to, be, to fight against discouragement. So we should do. He's finding reasons everywhere to believe that God's gonna deliver him. And so this is what he's doing. Now, then he says in verse nine, thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. He says, that made me hope. I, said, I, you know, I always wondered, what is a baby thinking about when he's nursing? I don't know. You know. He's making all those cooing sounds. I'm wondering what's going through his mind. You know, Here, the Lord said that what's going through his mind is hoping in God while he was nursing. Okay. I mean, I was, I was only nursed two weeks, which explains why I have all my problems in life because, you know. <laughs> but my wife, with every new son, she would nurse him longer and longer. You know, it became like the secret. Finally, our last born was Joshua. She nursed him until he was three years old. And the only reason that Cheryl stopped nursing is because in public, he started to walk up to Cheryl and lift her blouse up. <laughs> and it was just embarrassing for her. So it's, well, I gotta stop this. But Jewish mothers typically nurse their babies for a long time, like this kind of time. It's supposed that Hannah nursed Samuel for that much time. When it says in 1 Samuel 1.22, 1 Samuel 1.22, it says, but Hannah went not up, for she said unto her husband, I will not go up until the child, that'd be Samuel, and the child be weaned, and then I'll bring him, that he may appear before the Lord. And Elkanah, her husband, said unto her, do what seemeth thee good, tarry until thou hast weaned him. Only the Lord established his word. So the woman abode, gave her son suck until she weaned him. And when she weaned him, she took up the offerings. And it says, and the child was young. The child was young. Now, what she did when she brought him up there is that she made a little coat for him. A little guy, he had a little coat. And every time she would go visit him, she brought the coat. In 1 Samuel 2.19, for Samuel 2.19, moreover, his mother made him a little coat and brought it to him from year to year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. So he was probably three years old, who knows? But anyway, the Lord prays, he says, thou dost make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. And then he goes on and he says in verse 11, verse 11, be not far from me, for trouble is near, there's none to help. He says, be not far from me. He's praying, don't abandon me. Don't withdraw yourself from me. And then he says, trouble is near. 
This is how he is describing how he's feeling now, this, this anticipation. Trouble is near. He says, trouble is near. Maybe he could sort of sense the footsteps of Satan marching toward him with all of the armies of principalities and powers of darkness and all the spiritual wickedness in high places. And he, he can sense the footsteps are coming and he says, trouble is near in verse 11. He's up there in the upper room before he goes to the cross. He's looking over all of his disciples there. He sees a Judas Iscariot. He knows he's gonna betray him. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org.